I'm Charlie Keegan. This is the Central Wigan Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Central Wigan Podcast. This is episode 9 and it is the day after Wigan Athletic won Sunderland 4, which is the second time in three days that we have fell to a defeat, a 4-1 defeat to a northeastern side. We lost 4-1 at the Riverside on Monday, on Boxing Day, and then did it again last night against Sunderland at the DW Stadium. And to be honest, the result was completely worth it. I think that our performance was shocking. We were slow. Sunderland seemed quicker to everything. And I put on Twitter afterwards that I thought that the result was slightly unfair. And that's founded on the thought that 3-1, yeah, we were down and out and it was done. And Ahmad Diallo steps up and takes that beautiful strike into the top corner, makes it 4-1. And I thought that that final goal was just a bit of the kicker when we're down, the salt in the wound. We probably didn't deserve that. But when you actually look back over the result, you know, we we were second best to pretty much everything that night. So there's no arguments with the result. 4-1 after reflecting on it overnight probably is the right result. It's just a difficult one to take when you've you've suffered two 4-1 defeats in the space of three days. And that is now three defeats and one draw in Colo Torre's opening four fixtures. And it must be scrambling for answers. It's such a complex puzzle now to try and piece together with the January transfer window and with trying to implement his play style just to get us back in order of winning games, trying to get on a good run of fixtures. So we're bottom of the championship as it stands on goal difference. We'll have more points with Blackpool, but our goal difference is much worse. But for now, the team has got to stick together. We've got to try and put the end of this year, try and put December behind us. It's been a rough few months, to be honest, in getting rid of Liam and a couple of results that we've been going on. You know, January's right hit now. We need to put it all behind us, move on. But first, let's digest what happened last night. So as usual with these match overviews, these game analysis, I'm going to go through the team selection first. Then I want to go through both halves. We can analyse the chances and the goals and some key talking points. Then I want to go over some of the player standouts from last night, some good performances, some bad performances, and then I'm going to talk about my overall feelings towards the end and what we can look forward to after this game. So Torre announced three changes to our starting lineup from our 4-1 defeat away at Middlesbrough last time out. Ryan Niambe, Jordan Cousins and Nathan Broadhead all were out of the side and Tendai Dariqua, Tom Naylor and Ashley Fletcher, who was given his first start of the season, were all brought in in place. Charlie Hughes started the second consecutive game and the 19-year-old Academy product, he really does strike me as a player with a bright future, so I'm really glad that he got the nod again. Yes, we've got our defensive worries and a Romani Edmonds Green was out with a sickness bug. I've thought before that maybe he's only going back to Huddersfield, but Colo Torres said that it's just a sickness. You know, uh, Jack Watmore is still out with his injury, Jason Curry's out with the ACL, so that's really only left us Curtis Till and Charlie Hughes, but I'm really excited for Hughes to be back there. We remained with a 4-2-3-1 formation, which seems to be the favoured setup from Torre, Betsy and Jahal at the moment. We've used it every single game that he's been in charge of. And then our bench was Ben Amos, Ryan Niambe, Joe Bennett, Graeme Shinney, Jordan Cousins, Nathan Broadhead. And it should have been Anthony Scully, but he was replaced by Gwen Edwins just before kickoff because he's also fallen down with a sickness as well. So I'm wondering if there's something running through our camp that's starting to put a few players out. So it was Wigan that were the side to kick off. We were shooting towards the away fans and straight from the off, we, we looked to try and hold the possession that Torrey seems to be working with us and work our way up the field really patiently. It works fine until we go under any kind of pressure from Sunderland because we just turned the ball over time after time. We did it against Middlesbrough. We're doing it again against Sunderland. 
I thought Tom Neely used his body quite well in challenges to try and unsettle them, but they were a lot quicker on the feet. They dealt with the press well, and they were just finding space again between our lines. Abdullah Bar was a player that, from early on, was trying to get in between as well, and he went up against Dariqua and caught him sleeping a couple of times already early on in the game. They were definitely trying to target our right-hand side from early on, and I think Tony Mowbray knew that that was an area that you could exploit. But then Barr was, uh, he, he tracked down Charlie Hughes, who he took a bit of a heavy touch from a bat pass from Tom Naylor, and Barr tried to go through him inside our box and ended up putting Hughes in a bit of a heap on the floor. Now the ref didn't give anything. I think that it was a it was a fair challenge. It was just a heavy one for Charlie, and you know, welcome to the championship. That's kind of the big hits that you're going to take. But I think that James McLean was a bit frustrated with the fact that a couple of decisions weren't going Wigan's way, and that it's the referee seemed to be already losing a bit of control. You know, it's a game that's got a history of being a bit feisty. The two fans love to go at each other from the side, love to have a go at each other's players. And James McLean threw himself into a challenge. I can't remember the play that he even challenged at this point. But he threw his whole body into it and ended up getting a yellow card. It was the first uh, yellow card of the afternoon. But then a couple of minutes later, we ended up losing Hughes because he landed a bit awkwardly on his leg from clearing the ball into the stands. Couldn't continue. And I think that a lot of it stemmed from that early challenge from Barr. So Ryan Neyama replaced him, slotted as the right centre-back. We didn't really change much of our formation, much of our shape. Neyama can play that centre-back role. And I, I was actually intrigued to see how he was going to do there, but... You know, as we'll get on into, later on into this, it didn't really work out as planned. And with Wigan a bit weakened, it didn't really take long until the first opportunity to come from that. Ahmad Diallo took a shot, forcing Jamie Jones into a save, and the rebound fell to Bar. and Jamie Jones made a fantastic double save again. But then the resulting corner, that's where the first goal came from. There was a short corner routine between Jack Clark and Ahmad Diallo. It dragged both Dariqua and McLean to the edge of the area. Neither of them closed the opposition down. They gave him about five yards each to create pressure. They got the ball in, which Nambi tried to clear, but it fell to the back post to Hume. He knocked it face the, across the face of goal, and Ellis Sims headed it in. The whole defensive display was really poor from Wigan, and again, just showed our naivety from set-piece routines. We had nine plays in the box, they had seven, and nobody tracked Sims at the back post. Nobody was really tracking Hume. And if you look at where Curtis Tilt was stood, where Ashley Fletcher, I know that he's coming back just to help out, and he's not a defender, but they were all just passengers that were just sat watching Nobody closed anybody down and it was 1-0. Now we almost had an equaliser with five minutes to go until half-time. Max Power whipped in a corner which fell to McLean on the edge of the area. It looked like Asgard was going to hit it but you know James McLean said it was his. His volley hit the outside of the post and went out for a goal kick but a few inches to the right and that goes in. Straight away then Sunderland broke down our side. Diallo hit the crossbar with an effort and then settles on a counter-attack again. Tello Asgard found a couple of space, yards of space outside the box, decided it was his chance to have a shot. And then it was so powerful that Patterson couldn't keep hold of it and Will Queen was quickest to react and get his ninth of the season to level it up. I thought it was a poor half overall, but our leveller was deserved. You know, Jim McLean could have got really close. We looked to pick the pressure up and Will Keane showed why he should be in the starting lineup. You know, he might not set the world alight every single game, but he does get the goals and that is exactly what we need right now. But over that first half, we had 39% of possession to Sunderland 61. We had three shots, they had eight. We had two on target, they had four. One corner for us, three for them, and we committed 10 fouls to their seven. So it was a scrappy one, but we'll take the draw. Then going into the second half, neither team made any substitutions, but a few minutes in, Curtis Tilt went down holding his knee. And I was a bit worried because of losing Charlie Hughes earlier on in the game. We don't really have any other centre-backs, but he seemed to get up and it took him a while to, to shake it off, but he did. 
And the opening 10 minutes of the second half, was it was fairly calm in terms of chances. There was a bit of a midfield battle, but just before the hour mark, Callum Lang was played in behind and Luke 09 tracked the back and cleared the ball out for a, for a goal kick. Lange, for me, should have taken a shot earlier. I think that he could have got it on target, should he have shot a bit earlier, but you know he seemed to hesitate slightly and, and Sunderland did well to get back and defend. But to be honest, we started to look really shaky and Tony Mowbray, just like he capitalised in the first half by telling him to go down our right-hand side, this time he made a triple substitution because he knew that you know it wasn't the time in the game that we really wanted players to come on. But they took off Clark, Mishu and the goal scorer Ellis Sims to bring on Roberts, Pritchard and Ross Stewart who had six goals and eight appearances before today. Torre made a change of his own with Dallois guard coming off for Graham Shinney. And then a couple of minutes later, it was a penalty to Sunderland. Roberts started into the box, drew a foul from Naylor after working his way around our area. And the referee pointed straight to the spot and Ross Stewart converted it into a goal. Jamie Jones got a hand to it. Couldn't really have done much better because the placement was pretty much straight in the corner. But, you know, it was a, it was a really cheap goal to concede. And, you know, t- Tom Naylor, he didn't really need to make the challenge, but he was trying to go for the ball. So it's a little bit harsh, but, you know, you can't really argue much against it. And then over the next 10 minutes, Tony Mowbray made two more subs. He brought off Pritchard, who had just come on, but he picked up an injury whilst on the field. So the sub substituted, Matete came on and Abdullah Bar made way for the Jaku. Callum Lang was also replaced by Gwen Edwards, which is a decision that I do not understand. I think that we changed our shape completely. We had far less of an attacking presence with Callum Lang off. Try and switch him a wing, try and put him over on the far side, you know, where Talawaz guard was. Obviously now he's come off for Graham Shinny, but what I mean is that left attacking mid. Try and put him there just to see if he can cut in, do something different. But I really didn't think that Gwian Edwards was the answer to any of our problems. I think that, you know, it was only second start of, or a second appearance, sorry, of the season. There's nothing really he can do to help bring it back. But was this Torre just trying to see all the players? I don't know. Yet. I don't think he'd actually seen Gwian Edwards play yet. So maybe he just wanted to get him on the field and just see how he was. But we just looked really flat. We looked exhausted and we were, you know, two yards off Sunderland at this point. Dariqua was so slow. It was like... I said on Twitter, it was like comparing him to a cruise liner. I'm just trying to move and just see plays over his shoulder and get back. Just far too slow for me. And then Patrick Roberts added the third goal with five minutes to go. A bit unlucky because of a big deflection of Ryan Nyambe on the way through. But when you go back, and I, and I want you to go back and look at the highlights when you can. Because the space that Sunderland got through was a bit tight, but a couple of one-twos got them through. Curtis Tilt was just allowing, again, three yards of space for them to work in. Patrick Roberts received the ball off Neil inside the box and then had chance to take a touch, look up and shoot, and nobody pressured him. And then the final goal of the game came with one minute until the 90 with Ahmad Diallo shooting from quite a long range. He did a quick one-two with Roberts, just they were into these one-twos at this point and there was nothing we could do about it. And it was a beautiful shot, to be fair. There's nothing really you can do from a strike like that. And the Ahmad Diallo that we played last time at the Stadium Alight compared to the Ahmad Diallo now is a totally different player. And this one definitely is going to have a bright future. I can see him I can see him going back to Manchester United and being a regular team appearance in there, you know, whether off the bench or as a starting player, but he he definitely has it. Okay, and now just to run through player performances and any standouts from each position. So we'll start with goalkeeper, move through the defence, into the midfield and attack, and then we'll talk about the substitutions after. So Jamie Jones was the one who started in goal, made three saves and only 48% passing accuracy. His distribution has to get better. It's really starting to cause us a lot of issues now. 
I know that Torrey wants to play out from the back, but he just he does not look comfortable doing that. And then just going to right back, we had Tendai Dariqa played the full 90, made one clearance, two interceptions, seven tackles, was dribbled past twice, but he did win 10 of his 13 ground duels, never had an air duel, and he lost possession 24 times. 75 touches and 59% pass accuracy, with three of his 13 long balls attempted that actually came off successful. So Dariqa to me just looked like he was lost for most of the game, and I think that... Should Charlie Hughes have stayed on, I do think that he would have been brought off for Ryan Nyambe at some point. And then it's obviously hard to quantify how well Charlie Hughes is doing. He was only in the field for 17 minutes. But Curtis Tilt alongside him, played the full 90, one clearance, two interceptions, three tackles, won four of his six ground duels, five of his, uh, three of his five aerial duels, and he had 74% pass accuracy from 40 touches. So it wasn't great from Tilt. I think that his biggest letdown is not closing people down enough and a bit of defensive awareness that goes amiss. But yeah, it wasn't a great afternoon again from Curtis Tilt. James McLean on the left played 90 minutes, five of his nine ground duels or wins, one of his three aerial duels or wins. He made four clearances, one block, five interceptions and four tackles. But again, it's his passing accuracy that for me lets him down. 69% of his passes were accurate, 24 out of the 35, and two of his nine long blows made it where they needed to go and he didn't complete any of his four crosses. But the one thing that annoyed me most about James McLean on the night, and I understand that, yes, you want to celebrate when you score a goal, but you don't knee slide towards the away end when you just levelled it at 1-1 and you bottom of the championship and you're playing Sunderland, who you've just played for. That's going to get them riled up. The team that you're trying to play and trying to contain, they're obviously going to take their game to a little bit higher just to shut him up. So I thought it was a really bad move. Like, go and celebrate with the team. And then moving into the midfield, we had Max Power and Tom Naylor. Both played the 90. Max Power had 74 touches, 70% pass accuracy, didn't complete any of his crosses, and only two of his 14 long balls got where they needed to go. He won three of his five ground duels, didn't win his only aerial duel, and lost possession 27 times. I thought it wasn't the best game from Max, wasn't the worst game, but it was clear that we were just overrunning that midfield, and Sunderland had a very young midfield, which just had the legs on us. Max isn't a player that can compete with players you know, for pace and and ability you know he really likes to get stuck in sometimes and Sunderland were just too tricky for us to do that and we saw the effect on Tom Naylor as well obviously played with the full 90 56 touches 67% pass accuracy he won four of his 10 ground duels two of his three aerial duels and he lost possession 16 times he made four clearances three interceptions and two tackles which it, again didn't have the best game didn't have the worst game but for me I thought it, it looked quite solid it was just clear that it was just overran for most of the game then moving into the attacking line, we have Will Keane, who obviously got the goal. 38 touches, 70% pass accuracy, one key pass. He had his one shot on target. Two of his four dribble attempts were successful. He won three of 10 ground duels, three of four aerial duels, and he lost possession 16 times. Now, Will's been getting a lot of stick lately on Twitter, talking about what does he actually bring to the side apart from goals. And when you're in a championship relegation battle, the one thing you need is goals. But he also brings a lot of the link-up play, which he's really struggled with under Torre's new system. And I don't know if it's because of the new system or if he's just, you know, a bit out of form recently. But hopefully he's going to start improving. He's now one away from double figures. He's going to want to get that 10th goal of the season. So, you know, we, we play Hull and Cardiff next. They're around where we are in the table. So they're the games that we really might see him come to life, along with Callum Lang, who also had a bit of a difficult game to, yesterday. As I mentioned before, he got brought off with 15 minutes to go. He had 28 touches, 89% pass accuracy, but he only passed the ball nine times. Eight of them were where they needed to go. 
He completed one of his three dribbles, four of his ten ground duels, didn't win any of his four aerial duels, and lost possession eight times. To be honest, for most of the game, he was just marked out of it. And when he did get the ball, Luko 9, he had him really. There was nothing much he could really do on that right-hand side. But, you know, again, against Hull and Cardiff, I think that's when we might see him really starting to come into his own. On the other side, Telo Asgard came off after the hour mark. 29 touches, 75% pass accuracy. Won five of his now ground duels, one of his two aerial duels, and he lost position 10 times. And I know he won't get registered as an assist for his shot, which Anthony Patterson saved. But it all came from Telo Asgard actually going, you know what, I want to take the shot here, which we, we are crying out for sometimes. Yes, we're working the ball towards the final third quite well on occasion, but we're just not taking our shots and not taking our chances. And knowing how good Telo Asgard is at actually hitting the target, which is, again, something we really struggle with, is hitting the target. I really like that he just took that shot and took the opportunity. And then up top, we had Ashley Fletcher for his first start for Wigan, played the full 90 just the 25 touches, he had 5 of his 11 passes were accurate, so 45%. He won 5 of his 7 ground duels, 4 of his 7 aerial duels, and lost possession 10 times. He plays that striker role a lot different to what Nathan Broadhead does, and it's definitely his physicality which really helps him over Nathan Broadhead, who's more of a, a tricky player. But I thought that he held his own quite well, and if he isn't recalled by Watford at some point this season, I would hope that he does get a couple of more starts, maybe in a 4-4-2 with somebody alongside him like a Charlie Wyke or a Josh McGuinness or even a Nathan Broadhead because I think he does need somebody a bit better to, to play off of him rather than just being up there by himself. And then finally we'll go through the substitutions and I'll go through chronological order, so whoever came on the field first. Ryan Nambi came on, played 73 minutes. He had four clearances, one block shot, one interception, two tackles won both of his ground duels, didn't win either of his three aerial duels, lost possession six times and had an 80% pass accuracy completion. One of his five long balls got where they needed to go, but I thought that coming on when he did is always going to be difficult. Like we saw when Jack Watmore came off injured against Sheffield United, I think it was, and Romani Edmonds-Green ended up coming on. It's a really difficult time in the game to come on because you're not expecting to. You haven't really had much of a warm-up and you're thrown straight into the action. Graeme Shinney was next to come on. He came on for the last half an hour in place of Talo Asgard, which was a bizarre choice in my opinion. He made 15 touches, 60% pass accuracy, won three of his six ground duels, lost both of his aerial duels, five times lost position and made three tackles. I think that bringing Shinny on just, it lost our momentum, it lost our shape, and at the time we were 1-1, and then immediately going down to 2-1 from the Rostrup penalty a couple of minutes later, he just, he could barely get into the game. I don't really know where he fit in, he was kind of a rover for most of the time, but that's now two games in a row where he's come on for the last sort of 25-30 minutes after missing the first two games of Cola Torres new management. A lot of people are calling for him to start, so you know it was at least good to see him back out on the field and trying to make an impact. And then finally, we had Guion Edwards, who came on for Callum Lang. Came on for the last 16 minutes, 12 touches, two out of his five passes were accurate, four of his five ground duels were wins, he lost his only aerial duel, four times possession lost, and made three tackles as well. Guion Edwards was a bit of a passenger in this game for me. It was obviously very difficult for him to come in, only his second appearance of the season so far. But again, taking Callum Lang off with Telo Asgard late on really lost us our shape, created space in behind, and then they went and scored their final two goals not long after. So finally, I just want to run through the stats and how they compare against a lot of the other games that we've played so far this season. So Wigan had seven shots, two on target. 
which is 29%, which is, again, the lowest tied with Middlesbrough percentage-wise that we've had under Colo Torre so far. The opening game against Millwall, we had 43%, then it dropped to 30 and now we're around the 29% mark. It certainly isn't our lowest of the season so far, but it's working about around average for the season as a whole, which is around 28%. So it just shows we've got a lot of work to do. We need to be hitting the target a lot more than we are. Sunderland themselves had 13 shots with 7 on target, which is 54%. We're working at about an average of conceding 34% of our shots, which are actually on target. So 54% is very high. It is not the highest of the season so far. But again, it's not great for, for what we're used to. Wigan had 42% possession to Sunderland's 58 we managed 327 passes in the game compared to Sunderland's 460, but we only had 67% pass accuracy, which is our lowest since Rotherham away on October 1st, where we actually won that game 2-0. Wigan committed 19 fouls to Sunderland's 14, and 19 is actually the most we've committed all season. Wigan had two yellow cards. We had one for James McLean and one for Curtis Tilt, of course, and Sunderland just had the one yellow card, which was for Ballard at centre-back. Wigan were offside twice, Sunderland weren't offside at all apparently, and Wigan had one corner to Sunderland's four. I think what stands out to me there most about reading through the stats is that we lacked a cutting edge, our passing accuracy was simply not good enough, our shots on target were simply not good enough, but then when you start looking at how many fouls we committed, it really shows that there was frustration in our game, and I think that translates well onto what happened on the field as well. We were off the boil. We were nowhere near competing with Sunderland on a man-for-man basis. And, you know, it just led to frustrations. And they just had so much space to operate in. I'm very surprised that it wasn't more than 4-1. Like I said before, I thought that initially the scoreline was harsh. A 4-1 was a little bit too much. But when you're going through the game again, and I'm looking at the individual chances that Sunderland had to what we had, I am very glad it wasn't more than 4-1. But I did say in the match preview that if we play like we did against Middlesbrough, I would not be surprised if Sunderland got their biggest scoreline of the season so far, and they did. Four goals for them is the most have scored all season. I think you can probably say that 3-0 is the best scoreline for them, because obviously they wouldn't have conceded, but if you're talking in a quantifying goal sense, four is the highest for them this season. So overall, my thoughts on the game haven't really changed all too much from the Middlesbrough game. I think that January for me cannot come soon enough, and I think that changes to this side are a serious necessity. We just look slow, unaware, defensively naive, and I really don't know how Torre is going to salvage our season from this point. Probably one of the only highlights that I can really look forward to is that it is such a long way now until the end of the season, but the battle that we're going to have to go up with integrating the new additions, whoever they might be, working on our new play style and then actually going out and picking up enough enough points to stay in this league. That's one hell of a challenge, but you know, it's only December. January's right around the corner. We could bring in some players who, you know, string together passes well enough, start shooting on target well enough and we at least a point. So who knows? It's only December, but as it stands, Wigan are twenty-fourth in the championship with twenty-four points. But just looking at the table, there are three teams in the championship right now who are winless in their last five and Wigan are not one of them. Blackpool have three draws and two losses. Rotherham have three losses and two draws. And Cardiff City have got one loss and then four consecutive draws. So it really is going to be all eyes on the whole game now to see if we can win that one again. Because if we do, that's you know going to start putting us in the right position. We're going to get 27 points if we can get the three points there. And then we're immediately back around that bottom of the table fight again. And it just takes one good run to start propelling ourselves out. I just want to run through the championship fixtures and results from the weekend just around this podcast off. So it started with QPR 0, Luton Town 3, and then we had Wigan Athletic 1, Sunderland 4. 
Blackburn 1, Middlesbrough 2, Huddersfield 2, Rotherham 0, which is a terrible scoreline for Wigan, but it, it's, a, it's a tough one, that, because <laughs> Huddersfield, yes, they fit to the three points, and Leapfrog does, but it does keep Rotherham towards that bottom half of the table, which is exactly what we need. Coventry 0, Cardiff City 0, Millwall 0, Bristol City 0, West Brom 2, Preston 0, Blackpool 1, Sheffield United 2, which is, again, very good for us and was the result I hoped for. Swansea 4, Watford 0, Norwich 1, Reading 1, Stoke 0, Burnley 1, and then most recently, Birmingham 0, Hull City 1. And of course, we do play the Tigers at the DW on Monday, January the 2nd, 2023, first game of the new year, in a 3 o'clock kickoff. There will be a podcast coming with Jack, who is a Hull City fan, so it'll be good to get a bit of fan input on there. I was also on the Progress of Unity podcast this week where we talked about the Sunderland game and also previewed this whole game coming up. As always, my post-game analysis and the upcoming match previews will all be on our Substack, which is centralwigan.substack.com. It is a email newsletter straight to your inbox. There's a free version and a paid version, which the paid version has just got more of like the game analysis and the loan reports, under-21 reports, for a monthly price of £3.50, which is less than a program is per match day whereas the free version is just the match previews where you can cut everything on there. As normal, I will link everything on Twitter on Central Wigan. But that is everything from me in this podcast and is the final one of 2022. So I hope everybody has a good new year and I'm looking forward to doing more of these podcasts in the new year and being on the Progress of Unity podcast as well. So I hope everybody has a good night and up the ticks.